the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. Hey guys, I'm Bud Elliott, and welcome back again to another episode of College Football Summer School, a production of the Cover 3 podcast. And we are joined today by David Woods of Bruin Report Online. David, glad to have you back. Glad to be back, Bud. Thanks for having me. I think the last time we chatted, it was the uh, 24-7 Sports Around the Clock series. So uh, these have been going great so far. I've knocked out a lot of the Pac-12 episodes today, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited here to talk about this. UCLA had one of its best years uh, in recent memory last season. Uh, some frustrating games and, and, and some pretty fun wins, especially that uh, that LSU or the LSU win to open uh, the season. What, what's the overall mood right now in Westwood? Um, I would say it's still um, a lot of people um, not necessarily satisfied with the Chip Kelly era. I think the last season um, put some people back on the fence who had fallen off. Um, you know, fans are a fickle beast. Um, an eight and four year, it wasn't what a lot of people had dreamed of because it was felt of as kind of a culmination year for Chip Kelly, but it was obviously a significant improvement over the previous three years. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's, there's a wait and see again, um, you know, cause this year they got some unexpected guys back Dorian Thompson Robinson, Zach Charbonnet. Um, so there's a belief that, you know, maybe they can put it together and have a eight and four or nine and three season this year and show some continued progress. So I think there's, um, you know, obviously they gave Chip Kelly an extension this past offseason. Um, so there's some belief, well, let's see how the next year or two goes and um, make our determinations from there from a fan base perspective. No doubt about it. So we'll start first on the offensive side, just trying to fill in some blanks I have here after reading Bruin Report online and, and, and checking out, you know, some of the spring game. Um, DTR is still there. Uh, uh-huh. I think that's a good thing, but clearly UCLA was also pursuing guys in the transfer portal mm-hmm. for that spot. Uh, how, how much of a good thing is that good thing, if it's a good thing? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because um, when Dorian talked about the, that at the, the first, uh, I think, spring availability for him, he said Chip Kelly was actually trying to push him out. Um, that that was uh, because it was timed around the time that he was uh, they were pursuing Dylan Gabriel, who eventually went to Oklahoma. Um, but uh, I think it's a good thing because uh, the Dorian Thompson Robinson that I think everyone has in their mind's eye is sophomore Thompson Robinson, who was the king of the like empty handed fumble where he would just be running and then drop the ball. Um, he more or less excised the critical mistakes from his game uh, by midway through his junior year, but certainly um, in his senior year, I would say senior year Dorian was probably a top three or four quarterback in the league. I think this year he's going to be again, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league. Um, obviously there's been a lot of changeovers. So it's not that hard and it should be for a fifth year quarterback. 
but I think UCLA fans should be excited about the fifth year version. One thing we've noticed in spring is just the level of calmness to his play has really, really improved because, um, you know, for the longest time it was inexperienced. You know, he's not there yet. He doesn't have the reps. I mean, he might go down now as the most played quarterback in UCLA history um, in terms of games played. So uh, that's not an excuse anymore. And he's starting to show um, the the reality of those reps. Like he's out there and he's looking like a calm veteran. They have him mic'd up from a few of these practices. And it's just obvious that he's the leader of this offense in a way that he wasn't even last year. That's that, that's awesome to hear. Um, I, if I recall as a recruit, it, he didn't get to play a whole lot because he was behind Tate Martell. Wasn't he also younger than grade level? Yeah, he is. And he's, he's, he's still pretty young. I mean, for a fifth year guy, I think he's maybe just 21, maybe 22. Uh, but he's, I mean, he's very young for his class, especially with the way guys are held back these days. Um, and he, yeah, I mean, in high school, he was not a full-time starter until his final year. Um, so there was a, there was a real learning curve for him, but I think he's now kind of gotten there. For sure. I, uh, your, your comments uh, echo those of our, our, our pit guys, you know, who talked about how it slowed down really for Kenny Pickett last year in a way that they really weren't expecting, you know, just all of a sudden, the game slowed down and, and, and he, he killed it at Pitt and he'll likely be drafted uh, potentially in the first round come Thursday night. We're recording this, by the way, on Monday. I'm not really sure what the release schedule will be. Uh, just kind of depends on everybody's availability on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, so moving over to the pass catchers, uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Phillips and Dulcich and Coda are gone. Am I wrong to think that's a pretty big deal? It is. Um, so the one thing that was the biggest, so it's a big deal. Um, start there. Um, but the one thing that was obvious this spring, I think from what we saw, which was even with Mike Martinez out, who was the, you know, ostensibly he would have been the first string tight end. Um, even though he's more of a blocking guy, uh, Chip Kelly is working his voodoo magic yet again with the tight end position. Um, Michael Ezekiel, who's a, I think he's now a fifth year guy. That's a throwback um, name. I remember him yeah, from the LA Nike, yeah. LA Nike camp. Who, who basically, kid. who has done very little since his freshman year. Uh, looked like a monster um, in spring. And then uh, the guy behind him, uh, Hunter Habermill, who's a walk-on, um, looks like he's, I mean, he's a legit player. He's like 6'7", uh, big, 260, uh, moves well, um, catches the ball really, really well, um, high points it, um, can catch in traffic. Like he's, He would be a different type of, you know, walk-on turned player than Greg Dulcich, who's more of a speed guy. But Habermill looks like he could be a contested catch guy. Um, and he was also really, really good this spring. Um, whatever he's putting in the water for those tight ends, um, it's really working out. And then at outside receiver positions, I think that's where it's going to be a slight question mark. Jake Bobo, um, the Duke transfer, looks like he's a player. Um, and he was already kind of developing a rapport and a comfort level with Thompson Robinson this spring. Um, but the other spots, I mean, I don't know that you find an easy replacement for Kyle Phillips. Um, Logan Loya was kind of the Phillips understudy the last couple of years. He looked okay in spring, but it's hard to project that because Phillips was a day one guy. He looked exactly the same way he looked as a senior, which was reliable 50 to 60 catch guy. Um, and I don't know that anyone's going to be that, um, Casimir Allen is one to watch. I think I cited this last year when we were talking before the season and it sort of turned out that way by the end of the year. This year um, in spring, he's been a full-time, more or less, um, first-string guy in the slot. Um, he's really explosive, got a lot of speed. Uh, what we didn't see this spring, which I'm anticipating being the case by the uh, by fall, is that he'll get some work in the backfield as well. Um, but he should be a guy who reliably catches you know, 30 balls this year. Uh, switching over to the offensive line, 
I'm a little concerned about this group just because the guys who got the accolades, and especially like Sean Ryan, uh, he's not a scheme fit guy. He's just a dude, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, and he's off to the league. Uh, it's just, can Chip work some magic here? Three of the top five guys gone, it looks like, by snap count. There, so I think the interior is going to be more or less fine. Um, Sam Maraza, who was the starter last year at center for most of the year, he's been out with an injury that lingered over from last year. Um, Duke Clemens, though, took um, basically every single first string rep at center, and he looked good. Um, and then I think at the other two guard spots, John Gaines and Antonio Maffi. Maffi was the converted uh, defensive lineman who's played on the offensive line the last couple of years. Uh, they both looked good. They both looked fine. Um, it's tackle that's going to be the concern, which isn't a big surprise because, uh, as you noted, Sean Ryan's off, but also starting right tackle from last year, Alec Anderson's off uh, for you know potentially pursuing the NFL as well leaving not a whole lot. Um, Garrett DiGiorgio, who got some snaps at right tackle last year, but was by no means like a consistent playtime guy, he was the first string left tackle for all of spring. And at right tackle, uh, they had Josh Carlin and uh, another converted defensive lineman, a freshly converted defensive lineman in Tyler Manoa at right tackle. Hmm. So, and it looked about the way I'm describing it. It was not good. Um, you've got a guy who's got right tackle feet trying to play left tackle and he couldn't handle any kind of speed rush in, in practice. And then on the right side, it was a mixed bag. Manoa has talent and potential, um, but he's a senior. Um, he's going to have like one year to try to do this, but uh, he, he looked okay. He could move his feet a little bit, but just getting fatigued with um, I think the mental demands of the position and everything tackles a major concern so they've got Rutgers transfer uh Raekwon O'Neal coming in this uh summer and the hope is that he can hit the ground running and potentially slot in right at left tackle and then maybe move to Giorgio over to right tackle maybe have Manoa make a big leap in his development or continue to hit the transfer portal and see if there's another tackle available but if you're looking for a major concern with the offense next year it's offensive line particularly offensive tackle it's uh, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I haven't done, I think this is the 30th of these that I've done so far uh, in the first couple of weeks. Almost every person I interview says, yeah, they really need an offensive tackle the transfer portal. So that will be a, that will be hotly contested for, for sure. Anybody who, anybody who played Madden back in the early 2000s knows the value of a lot left tackle. Um, yeah. And I think the reality is, and it was always going to be the case, if you're going to be overly dependent on the transfer portal, which I think UCLA is getting towards being overly dependent on it, the premium positions are going to be hard to come by. Um, they just are. Um, and I think even O'Neal, you know, I, I liked him at Rutgers. I mean, from what I saw of him, but he's not Sean Ryan and he might not be Alec Anderson. Um, yeah, I so heard I think- mixed reports, like from some different schools I know that were talking to him. Um, some wanted him and, and some were were not convinced. And, and they need pursue. him. Yeah. And he, he, uh, he, from what I saw at Rutgers, he'll be a too deep guy no matter what. Um, because, but that's the reality of what UCLA has at tackle. It's just not very good. And, um, I think that's the ba- the major concern because UCLA does move around its tackles a lot. Like it likes to pull them. It likes to do a lot of variety with them. And if you don't have guys who can master, because spring practice is basics. Like you're just yeah. block your man. Um, and if you don't have guys who can master the basics, then you're not going to be able to develop too much off of it. For sure. I, I guess the one, uh, the, the one saving grace there is Colorado's edge rusher. Who's now escaping my mind. He's off for the league and Arizona state, Eric Gentry, I uh, just hit the portal today, assuming he goes back east. Yeah. That would be my guess. So maybe a little bit uh, lesser load, and also Utah lost their top pass rusher. Uh, Gave on Thibodeau as well, yeah. And and Thibodeau's gone, so uh, maybe a little bit less pass rush juice in the Pac-12 this year to uh, to expose that. Let's yeah. uh, let's talk about UCLA's own defense here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they've got kind of a revolving door here. Dave, I got some questions on this. So they lose their top two defensive linemen by snap count, but you bring in Sykes from Harvard and Smith from Duke. And and who are we? Is that a worry that that the front line? I would say so. Um, okay. So we, we still haven't seen Sykes um, because he doesn't come in until the summer. Um, Gary Smith was in for a few days and um, he got – so I'm not sure if he got hurt or if it was a conditioning issue because he didn't look – honestly, he looked like a guy who would taken about four months off of a football program uh, sure. when he was out there, just getting winded really easily. It looked like he'd maybe packed on a little bit too much weight. Um, so I don't know yet about him, whether, I mean, when he was in there, he looked stout, like he looked like he'd hold the point, the whole thing. Um, right now the defensive tackle rotation, especially with Odua is a uh, transferring out, um, cause he was first string three tech for most of the spring. Um, it's going to be some combination of Jay Toia, um, Martin Andrews. Um, and then right now the starting three tech looks like Quentin Somerville, who was a, you know, former recruit in a couple classes ago. Um, it's just hard to project. Um, Andrus uh, has basically missed most of the last three years due to injury. Um, and he's going to be counted on to be, provide too deep. Uh, Toia looked promising um, and by all accounts dominated USC spring practice a year ago uh, before transferring into UCLA, but he hasn't really looked like that at UCLA. He's been fine. He's been a plugger, um, but he's not disrupting everything. Um, I think what they're going, cause they're, so the defensive scheme is moving more towards a four, three, I mean, everything is such hybrid stuff these days that it's hard to completely glean, but 4-3, 4-2-5, um, which means the three-tech is going to be back to being a, a primary pass rushing position. Yeah. And they don't they don't have that guy right now. Um, and I think to keep pressure off the edges, they're going to need to have that guy. Now, one thing I would cite is um, Gabriel and Grayson Murphy, the North Texas transfers who came in uh, this spring, they were doing a lot of unique pass rush looks with those two lining up together on one side um, and then having Carl Jones, who's kind of a small speed rusher on the other side and just having one true defensive tackle out there. Um, and those were intriguing. I don't think they'd be able to do them every down, but they might be able to mix and match some things. And I think all things considered, the defensive front should be able to get more base pass rush without having a blitz um, than they have in the past couple of years. In your estimation, uh, you lose Mitchell Agude, you, you lose Caleb Johnson, but, but but you bring in the Murphy guys from North Texas. Is that a net positive, negative, kind of a wash? What what, what are you thinking there? It's a tough one. So I would say um, the Murphys – so here's the thing. I think the scheme change is a net positive for the personnel they have, and I think if Agude okay. was still there um, playing in this scheme, he would look a lot more productive than he looked at UCLA in years past. I think, and he said this, I think in one of his quotes after transferring, I'm allowed to play more, you know, nine. I'm allowed to play outside the tight end sometimes, which really benefits me because I'm more of a speed guy. And that was always true. Um, and he was stuck playing, I mean, almost, sometimes he was playing like four I in there. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, he was having to hold up against guards and tackles sometimes. Um, so it's, it's good for him to be in that role, but he would have been a little bit more um, with this. But what I would say is, the Murphys look really good. I don't know what they are as NFL prospects because they're both like 6'2", 260, and that does not project as mo- many defensive ends I see. Uh, but they're going to be really good college players. Um, and I think at the Pac-12 level, they can absolutely make an impact. They've looked real – and uh, look, caveat, that offensive line, work in progress, but they've looked really disruptive in spring. Um, so I would say net upgrade because there's two of them. I think Agude would have – been similarly disruptive in this sort of system um but between them and carl jones who we've 
we've been banging the drum for Carl Jones for a couple years now as a speed rush guy um, over at Bruin Report Online. Um, the previous staff, and I'm referring to them as previous staff because there's been almost total defensive coaching changeover. Um, just, I don't think they knew exactly what they had there. Maybe this staff appears to like, they are playing him. He's getting first string reps really consistently. Um, so I think a combination of the scheme change plus the personnel, um, I think they're going to have a, a better pass rush and I think it's going to look more productive, uh, than it did, um, with a good It may have to obviously, because finishing here with the defensive backs, Five of the top six snap count guys are, are gone in the secondary, but Davies comes in from Oregon. You get Hearn from Wyoming. Uh, what, what's the general uh, the feeling there, if you could? Yeah, it's uh, it's inexperience um, uh, at some spots. Um, I think at safety, you've got Stefan Blaylock, who's back, um, and you've also got um, Mo Osling has looked like the major first-string safety alongside Blaylock. Um, and then the corners, honestly, I think one of the most talented guys on the defense is one of the likely starting corners this year, which is Devin Kirkwood. Um, he's okay. been yeah. really impressive in spring. Um, and he's showing the confidence of a guy now, like a dude, you know, he's not a freshman out there trying to, you know, remember the plays. He, he's got that kind of swagger to him, which you just, not every position do you need it, but at cornerback, you really do. You need to be kind of a, you know, I'm erasing that play from my brain because I'm the world's greatest and I'm going to go out there and, and now dominate this guy. Um, and so he's looked really good. Uh, the other spot is more the question mark. Um, John Humphreys has gotten a lot of reps. He looks the part. He looks like a Kirkwood clone. He's like, again, six one, six two, really long, moves well. Um, hasn't quite, you know, produced the same way. Um, but he's gotten, he got a little bit of playing time last year and the year before. Um, and then Hearn from Wyoming, he looks like he's going to play a little bit of outside corner, going to play a little bit of nickel, um, they seem to be doing, and this is where I think it's spring, so it's installed. They seem to be doing some interesting things with the nickel. They've got a couple different, I, I think, variations on what they're doing there. Sometimes it'll be Hearn. Sometimes it'll be Kenny Churchwell, who's a much bigger safety type, who's almost yeah. like a safety linebacker. And they've been cross-training a couple of guys, Churchwell included, with both linebackers and safeties. Um, so I think that's going to be kind of a nickel backer role at times versus just a pure cover nickel. Um, and then... Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's the major concern there is not necessarily the first string. I think they're going to get competent enough play out of the defensive backfield. And the fact that they're actually going to get pass rush this year without blitzing, which I think they will. I'm, I'm confident that they that I'm confident enough to say that maybe that will actually happen this year versus my absolute pronouncements that it will not in years past. Um, it, it, that should make the defensive backfield look better than it has the last couple of years, even with less experience. But the issue is there's virtually no depth at safety um, and uh, not a whole lot at corner either. Um, so if they, if they do lose some guys to injury or, if, you know, production does not match practice performance for some of these guys, they could be in a world of hurt. All right. That is, uh, that is UCLA with our friend, Dave Woods, uh, who has to go and uh, I believe do, do carpool pickup line. Right. So yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Been there. Uh, many thanks. Bruin Report Online is the absolute best spot in the world for any kind of UCLA coverage you guys want. Bruin Report Online podcast as well. BRO for everything. Dave, really appreciate the time again. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it, man. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. 
there's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. I'm Bud Elliott, and welcome back in to Cover 3 College Football Summer School Edition. And uh, today, we're going to talk a little, uh, little Pac-12 champs, Rose Bowl participants, uh, and to do so, I'm going to bring on my friend Steve Bartle, who runs Ute Zone. Steve, welcome to Cover 3. What's up, bud? Hey, man, it's good to be back on here with you. No, it, it is, man. You, you guys, you, you were dead on last year. Last, last year at Utah when we did the uh, the spring gleaning or uh, round-the-clock series, whatever we ended up uh, terming it last year. 10-4 uh, and four season for Utah. Played as a pretty legitimate top-15 team. Rose Bowl appearance. Uh, one of the best games I've seen in in quite some time from an entertainment standpoint. People in Utah got to be feeling pretty good right now. No, absolutely, bud. And I think the biggest reason for optimism is we don't have a quarterback battle, you know, this season. And so that's been a a, a big change for a lot of Utah fans this offseason. Coming off a Rose Bowl uh, appearance, as you mentioned, a Pac-12 championship as well. You know, those were the Pac-12 championship was a, a big deal, you know, for this Utah football program, this fan base. It's been, you know, a process. This has been the goal since they joined the Pac-12 and to see them, you know, get their first one after, what, 10 years in the conference. You know, there it was a big, big milestone for Kyle Whittingham and the program. So the fan base is feeling good. The program is feeling good. And they're heading to the offseason, you know, with a, a rejuvenated, a higher level of confidence you know, than we've seen in years past. So, a lot of optimism surrounding this Utah football program right now. All right, so fill in the blank. Last year, Utah's offense was better than its defense for the first time since when? Because I thought about that this morning when I was prepping for these, and it Ooh. it has been a minute, man. Holy cow. Yeah, no, it's – man, you would have to go back and really dive into some of those those early 2000 teams, right? Like, like, even like Urban back- Meyer? Er, yeah, Smith. like that's yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Like, there's probably a year between then and, and the 2010s where the offense was was better, you know. But I would have to do a deep dive. But off the top of my head, like you would have to go all the way back to that 2014 with Alex Smith leading the way, you know, where the offense was just that much better than the defense. And even then, like last year's defense still ended up among the top in the Pac-12. So it really says something. But yeah, that offense last year was it's been the best that we've seen in quite some time. No doubt about it. I, I what once Cam Rising was installed as the starter, I went back and looked at my numbers. I actually had them as a top ten offense in the whole country uh, with with him in there. I mean, that's you know obviously the uh, the Rose Bowl. I know everybody had DBs out across the board and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a score fest. But e- even entering that game, um, I think they were playing as kind of a a top fifteen level offense. He's back. There's a lot to like back on this offense. Uh, do you think he's going to take a leap this year, like like another step, or, or can he maintain what he did even? That was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, like it, it was really impressive to see him step in, and the 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 difference was almost immediate, right? Like he stepped yes. in and San Diego State yeah. came, and that was 
like that was the craziest thing was how night and day different the offense looked with him in there compared to, you know, Charlie Brewer, who was the starter coming out of fall camp. It was just, you know, his presence on the field made a big difference in so many ways. So, you know, with the year under his belt, the success that he had, you look at the track record of offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig, you know, his time at, at, at Vanderbilt, I think he finished there in 2018 with Kyle Shermer. And you look at Shermer's, you know, progress and progression uh, each year as a starter. He finished his with his best season in 2018 under Andy Ludwig. And I think that's happened before with Andy Ludwig here at Utah. Brian Johnson, the last time, you know, he was here, multiple year starter, finished in 2008 as a guy that orchestrated the offense, had full command of it. And I think that's kind of the thing that, um, a lot of us are, are looking forward to with Cam Rising is him taking more control, more command of the offense. He, you know, we got to see him a little bit this spring. Saw him in a scrimmage two weeks ago. Saw him in, in the red and white game uh, this past Saturday. And, you know, he's making throws. He's going, he just looks like a guy that's in playing at a very high uh, confidence level, playing with command of the offense. And I think that's going to translate this fall and, and, you know, he averaged 180 yards, something like that, per game through the air, which isn't isn't a big number. And I don't think that we'll see him start throwing, you know, for 250 yards per game. But I do think we'll see a jump. I, I think we'll see a, a significant jump for him where he's probably 220, 225, somewhere in there where it's a little bit more consistent. But I do expect nice. Camp to, to take, you know, a nice step forward this season. So I, I got to ask you about this. Brit, Britton Covey, uh, the success rate when they went to him was just absolutely ridiculous. He was kind of a cheat code. It was, it was almost yeah. – um, you remember that Clemson team? Uh, and, and I'm not doing this because they're both you know smaller white dudes. But, like, remember, remember when Clemson had all, <laughs> had all those guys that, that were as tall as trees and, and then the, the way they beat Bama was basically like, hey, we, we got this guy on your safety or on your nickel and he just really couldn't cover him with Hunter Renfro. Uh, I'm a, like if I have a concern about this offense, and this is why we have the show because I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. It's Covey was just sort of such a, like a like a, a safety net there when they needed something, they would just go to him and he would be open and you'd catch it. Like he wasn't always an explosive play guy in the pass game, I mean, like a return game. He was a stud, but yeah. Uh, how do they work around not having him? So yeah, so with Britton Covey, obviously it's it's a lot to replace. It's a lot to replicate. But I do think they have a couple guys in Brant Keithy and Makai Bernard who are are similar in terms of their versatility, right? Brent is labeled as a tight end, but he's got uh, he worked exclusively with wide receiver coach Chad Bumpus and the wide receivers this spring. He's also played running back in high school. He's been utilized in the run game in his time at Utah as well. So he's got that kind of versatility. Uh, and then Makai Bernard is a similar athlete out of the running back room. And I think he, he also had experience playing receiver in high school. And he's going to be a guy that we see, you know, flexed into the slot, flexed out wide. He was the guy that, you know, the he had to corner play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Had the incredible catch, you know, in the corner of the end zone, that was Makai Bernard. And I think he's, he's going to be that guy to help uh, replicate some of the production that that leaves with Burton Covey moving on from the program finally. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I love Tavion Thomas at the back. Not really a questionnaire need to ask about him because he's a stud, I think. Uh, losing two guys who started quite a few snaps uh, on the offensive line. At what I know last year you had some some questions about this group when, when we spoke entering mm -hmm. the season. It worked out okay. 
Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts here uh, for this year? You know, but this is, this is going to be a group that, um, you know, there's, there's quite a bit more confidence within this group, just considering the way that they turned things around after those first, after that first month, right. It was awful in that first month. And they, they talk about it, all of them, Jim Harding, the, the offensive line coach, the offensive lineman that played, you know, they all talk about it, that they did not play well, uh, but they turned it around. And I think, as you mentioned, the two guys that depart, Nick Ford at center, Bamadeli Olaseni, the gig- gigantic presence, 6'8", you know, 330 pounds, uh, 88-inch wingspan. Like, that's going to be tough to replace. You don't find a lot of guys like him you know, on the streets, so it's, it's going to be tough. And the thing is, they've got a guy that really played well. Their top offensive lineman in, in many respects, Brayden Daniels, who moved out to right tackle. Uh, he's made the switch to left tackle, which they're really optimistic about um, his ability there. Uh, they've got a lot of depth, and that's that was the biggest difference to me in watching this team in our um, time that we got to watch them this year is just the amount of depth. You know how many guys are truly ready to play in a game? You know, there's probably eight, nine guys ready to play. They've got a good idea of you know who those guys are, and there's probably a good five or six that they feel really comfortable can start. Uh, but the the depth it has really improved from that 2019 team which where the offensive line was kind of the big bugaboo of that of that team. So I, I do think the depth has, has improved. They've got some options. They've got some depth. And, you know, some guys are, are emerging and stepping up. All right. So I just got off with Ryan Abraham of USC football, and they're obviously really excited about Lincoln Riley. And I, I asked him, I said, hey, uh, do you think USC will need to score 40 a game in Pac-12 play? Uh, and do you think it can? And he said, I think they might have to. Uh, and I think that they probably can Let's transition to the defensive side of the ball here for Utah because there are some uh, there are some losses at least on on, on paper uh, that look pretty big and I'd, I'd like you to kind of sort it out if you could for me you know, which ones are are uh, are more replaceable and which ones do you feel like they might be in trouble with uh, you know defensive linemen uh, Tafua and Tafana up front I probably mispronounced that pretty badly uh, mm-hmm. Devin Lloyd and and Sewell I'm guessing you're going to go here at linebacker and yeah. then uh, D- Davis and McKinney at DB. Those are some names that you watch Utah games. Those guys made those guys made plays like a lot. Where are they going to be okay and maybe better? Where do you project to drop off? You know, as crazy as, as it sounds, Bud. Like when you lose, you know, a projected first round pick and uh, an all conference running mate at the other linebacker spot. It's a lot to replace, right? Whether it be yeah. talent, you know, just simple ability, production, uh, leadership those guys possessed all of it. And I think that's why you're seeing Devin Lloyd projected as high as he is. Like he's the total package. That's going to be tough to replace, but as crazy as it sounds, there's a lot of optimism that they've got guys, you know, in, in the pipe coming down the pipe that are going to be able to fill in. They're not going to be Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. Like (laughs) that's not what I'm saying, but there's a confidence level that they're going to be able to come in and play at a level that is expected. And I think part of, the reason they'll be able to meet expectations is other guys around them kind of stepping up and emerging. Clark Phillips is a guy that Utah is going to lean on and rely on to make plays. But I do think there's, there's confidence in true freshman, early enrollee, um, legacy kid, younger brother of two former players, Jackson Barton, Cody Barton, almost five-star according to 24 seven sports, Lander Barton, the oh, yeah. local product here out of Brighton. He's come in and, 
man, the, the, the talk surrounding him has been really impressive. So he's going to be a guy to keep in mind you know, as, as we're talking about impact freshmen. Lander Barton is certainly going to be a guy to keep a, an eye on. And then another guy who we didn't get to see, uh, Mahmoud Diabate, the transfer out of Florida. There's a lot of optimism around him and what he brings to the table to that linebacker room. They've got other guys, Karani Reed, who's, who's really stepped up. So they feel good at linebacker. Um, and they feel good at safety, right? You lose Vontae Davis and, our, mm, and, okay. uh, and Brandon McKinney. They feel good about safety. They've got a guy in Cole Bishop that really flashed some in, in moments last year. The, I think, honestly, the biggest question mark, and it, it's crazy because of just how well they reload year in and year out on the defensive line. I think the biggest question mark of those two, three position groups is who steps up and who actually you know fills in that starting defensive end spot vacated by Mika Tafua. There's you know, there's some guys, there's some bodies, but who actually emerges as the guy will be uh, certainly something to monitor as we get into the summer and fall camp. I, I do feel like Utah always has a dude that is just yeah. sort of off the national radar, like even more so than just Utah as a team is. And uh, and then all of a sudden he steps up. It's like, oh, he's a 12-sack guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? Like you don't know who it's going to be some years, but you can always count on somebody, you know, stepping up and being a guy that gets pressure. I think Van Fillinger, former four-star kid, you know, here locally uh, is a guy that we're all kind of expecting to make that leap. He had five and a half sacks last year, um, complimenting Mika Tafu on the other side. So I think there's some expectations for him to kind of step up as and being one of those guys, one of those leaders. So we'll see. Sure. Uh, it'll be, be really interesting to see Whittingham, uh, you know, continue to, and, and his staff obviously handle this defense with, with a lead most of the time. That's not always something yeah. that they've, they've always had. Uh Two more, and I'll get you out of here. Again, we're talking to Steve Bartle of Youth Zone. Does a great job covering all things Utah, and was on this Utah team as a team that you know certainly could win the Pac-12 last year, and they they may be the favorite for it uh, this year, depending on what you think of you know Oregon and SC and whatnot. Um, last year, punt team was not very good. Ooh. Like the no what, that, and to me that kind of was an under the radar thing. Do, do they have they figured out something different at, at punter this year or punt team? Well, you know, no. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> to hmm. Coach Witt, you know, it's still a work in progress, uh, according to Coach Witt. You know, they've got a couple guys that they feel better about. Uh, Cameron Pe Peasley is one of those pro-kick Australia guys. They brought in a transfer, uh, Mike Williams, uh, who's, you know, he's got a bigger leg, just not as accurate, whereas Peasley is more of the, you know, the pitch and wedge type guy. He can place it, pin it down in the corner, but he doesn't have a big leg, so it's – an interesting dynamic. You got a power guy and a, more of an accurate guy. They could find a nice mixture between the two. And also, I think part of the struggles of the punt team weren't necessarily the punters themselves, but you know the protection, the snap, all of it is kind of a work in progress right now. And it's still a bit of a question mark as we head into the summer. And that's kind of scary because it did you know, ultimately cost them two games. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And they weren't just little misses; they were they were, they were big time, yeah. you know, kind of special teams disasters. All right, so uh, last one here: portal hunting over the summer. I assume Utah has a spot or two left. Yes. Yeah. Yep. What? Where are they going in an ideal world? Not necessarily like guys that you know they're going to get, but like positions that, that they want to try to uh, add depth to, or or perhaps add starters to, with those final few scholarships through the portal. Yeah, you know that's going to be interesting and. They do have spots, and, and part of that is they're anticipating guys leaving the program. And so um, a lot of where they expect to expect, you know, expected to be aggressive 
in the transfer portal is dependent upon who leaves the program, kind of the, uh, the departures uh, and what positions are impacted most. But as of right now, I think you look at this roster, you've got a guy emerging in Devon Bailey at wide receiver. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, like there's a, he's kind of the perfect wide receiver, a former walk-on under-recruited, but just tremendous athleticism. I still think ideally, right, in an ideal world for Utah, you're able to add a compliment to him, a, a proven commodity of sorts at wide receiver. And then defensively, you know, with Clark Phillips, um, you've got a, a dude at cornerback, a guy that's proven to make plays on a, on a big stage. There's a lot of confidence with him. But the, the depth, just considering some of the injuries that were suffered last season, cornerback is also a position that could see, uh, you know, a few additions this summer. So, and, and obviously with what's, what's going on around, what's going on around the rest of the Pac-12, where you've got Lincoln Riley coming to USC, you've got Oregon and what they're building, you need, you need, you need as much depth at that cornerback position, enough guys to compete to drive up the competition at that spot as, as you can possibly get. So it's one of those premium positions, same, similar to wide receiver. And I think Utah, you know, as of right now, just looking at the roster, I think those are two positions to keep an eye on for Utah. They will be aggressive and will look to fill the spots vacated, you know, how, whoever, however many leave. Um, but they will certainly use, take full advantage of the transfer portal and what comes of it this, uh, this summer. Awesome. Steve Bartle of Ute Zone covering a Utah team that very well could be favored in all 12 games this year. It's going to be really exciting to watch these guys as they try to defend their Pac-12 title, and we'll be staying tuned to Steve and Ute Zone all summer. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, bud. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, guys, I'm Bud Elliott, and welcome back in to College Football Summer School, part of the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. and today. We're talking a little Colorado, and I'm joined by Adam Munster-Tiger, nailed it, I think, of Buff Stampede. They do a great job covering all things Colorado, and if you are a Colorado fan or just somebody interested in the Colorado program, you really need to watch this episode, and you need to go to buffstampede.com just to check it out, because they have had an absolute just ton of player turnover, and Adam's here to help us. Man, Adam, I'm really glad you're here, because I don't know what to make of this team. Yeah, it was a quite a hectic stretch there after the season because it was a couple guys hitting the portal every day, and that number, I, I think, if you include Curtis Appleton, who was awarded a scholarship last year, it was twenty three players left the program between the start of the twenty twenty one season and then when they started the spring semester in twenty twenty two. A lot, a lot of guys left, but a lot of that was guys kind of being pushed out. They, they needed to make room like a lot of programs were dealing with across the country. There was kind of this log jam because eligibility didn't count in 2020 and they had signed a full recruiting class. So you're going to have to make room for those guys. And then you wanted to bring in some transfers yourself to kind of fill in some depth issues. So seven of those guys that left the program ended up transferring 
to other power five programs. So those are really the seven guys that you would kind of focus on as far as uh, impact to the Colorado football program. And you start with Christian Gonzalez. He has a chance to work his way into being a first round NFL draft pick. He was their top pro prospect, their best cornerback, and he goes to Oregon. So that loss hurts. You do have some young guys you like at that position. So uh, that wasn't necessarily the, the, the position that was affected the most negatively. I, I think you would probably maybe look a little bit more to receiver where a guy like Brendan Rice was one of the few guys that when you tuned in to watch a Colorado football game in 2021, he was out there battling on offense and it was one of the worst offensive units in the country. And that was a guy that also added, added some explosiveness as a kickoff returner. So you hated to see him leave and, and then it kind of made it, you know, even worse when he goes to a, a division rival in USC. So they did bring in RJ Snead from Baylor. So, so that helps there. RJ Snead left Baylor in receiving two years ago was second on the team last year. So that kind of helps mitigate that loss a little bit, but you only get RJ Snead for one year. Brennan Rice is a little bit younger in his career. So uh, th those are a couple of the, the, the big guys leaving that, that did hurt this program that, that you would have liked to have back in 2022. Who are some of the guys coming in uh, that you know we should be most excited about? Well, you know, in terms of transfers co coming in, I, I think for the future, you kind of look to Maddox Kopp, a quarterback coming in, that uh, he's not going to play this year, but he really looks the part. He's probably going to be their third-string quarterback this year, a guy that down the road is going to have an, a big impact. Uh, in terms of 2022, you look to Tommy Brown transferring in as an offensive lineman from Alabama. He actually started a game for Alabama last year. Uh, it maybe wasn't going to be a full-time starter for the Crimson Tide going forward, but is a guy that they factored in right at left guard right away. Kari Kutch, who, who is a veteran guy that graduated at that position, moves on, and you, you plug in Tommy Brown there, and uh, he's going to be a starter for them up front. I mentioned R.J. Snead, a guy that brings some, a, a veteran presence at the receiver position. They, they took a chance on a guy named Chance Main. Uh, he played at Incarnate Word. A couple years ago, didn't play last year, coming back from a, a back surgery uh, and, and actually came on campus this spring and was factoring in with the ones at the end of spring ball off the edge. So a, a guy that they feel pretty good about. And then lastly, in terms of the guys bringing in that are going to have a big impact, you got to talk about Ramon Jefferson, who was a second team FCS All-American at Sam Houston last year. Uh, really, really good running back that uh if you want to watch some good tape, uh, some entertaining tape, watch his film from Sam Houston last year. We, we get into the second level and just was a hard guy to bring down and put up huge, huge stats there. So with Jerick Broussard, uh, another guy I should have mentioned in terms of the guys that, that it hurts losing, he's going to Michigan State. You plug in Ramon Jefferson this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a, a thousand yard back for the Buffs this year. So uh, th those are the main guys that are they're going to have an impact uh, from the transfer portal coming into to Boulder. What? What spots on this team would you project to take the biggest leaps forward now under yet another year of Carl Durrell? In terms of units or players? Uh, preferably units. Well, they they desperately need the quarterback position and the offensive line groups to get better. And, you know, I guess the, the bright side there was that it, it can't get much worse than it was in 2021. Brandon Lewis was a first-year starter in the Pac-12, and those growing pains uh, – they, they were tough. You know, he did not grow at, at the rapid pace that they were hoping for. And, and he did get better at times, but still even late in the season, his stat lines were not good. 
Um, but part of that issue was the fact he didn't get much time back in the pocket. The offensive line group was an unmitigated disaster in 2021. They actually fired their offensive line coach seven weeks into the season, which you just don't see happen yeah. all that often unless there's some kind of off-the-field issue. So uh, that was a group that did not like their position coach, and, and they have a new position coach that they like now. Kyle Devan takes over. He's got previous Power 5 offensive line coaching experience at Arizona. He was a, an offensive analyst for Michigan, helping out with their offensive line group last year. Uh, that, that was a really gr good group. Now, um, you know, we'll see what that group looks like. I mentioned Toby Brown transferring in from Alabama. He fills one of the gaps in terms of guys that they lost on that offensive line group. Frank Phillip at right tackle was pretty good in 2020, uh, was not the same version of himself in 2021 coming back from a, a shoulder injury. Casey Roddick, who is their, their right guard, probably their best offensive lineman this spring, had no offseason last year. He had COVID and a heart issue as a result of that. And so he was not cleared mm -hmm. until right when camp started. So he was playing his way back into shape even early in the season. So there was reasons for why that offensive line struggled last year. Uh, th they have to be better this year just because of the simple fact that, that it can't get any worse. Um, and then going back to the quarterback position, JT Shroud, a, a Tennessee transfer, was probably going to be their starting quarterback until during their first preseason scrimmage, he suffered a torn ACL. So at that point, Brennan Lewis was given the job. Uh, up to that point, I, I thought Shrott was probably the odds-on favorite to be the starting quarterback. He wasn't cleared for full, full participation this spring, but did seven-on-seven seven stuff and is going to be a full participant when they get back for summer. So I, I think right now, if you're going to pick a, a starter, just going off the fact that Shrott was probably going to be the guy before he tore that ACL, uh, he has a lot of arm talent. He, he did start a game at Tennessee before transferring to Colorado. So you'd expect those units to get better. But again, the, the bar is set really low from what they did in 2021. I, I also feel like just, you know, looking at the depth chart, reading y'all's reports, the at least the starters on the defensive line have a chance to, with another year of experience, be even better and, and maybe be a top half unit in Pac-12. Yeah, I think the the front, if you're going to look to a, a strength for Colorado, you'd probably look there. Terrence Lang is a first-off-the-bus type of guy that has had flashes of being a really good player, just hasn't had the consistency behind that. Uh, he looked like it early on during spring ball. He, he looked like a star in that group as a defensive end. He did miss the last two weeks of spring ball with a lower body injury. He was kind of moving around with a walking boot, but we're told it's nothing that needs surgery. So he's a guy that, that's going to hopefully, if, if you're a Colorado fan, take a, a jump up this year and, and be in the all-conference discussion. Neem Rodman's a, a steady offense, uh, steady defense alignment that's gotten a little bit better every year he's been on campus. Jalen Sami is a junior, but it feels like he's been in this program for the last decade because he yeah. gray-shirted, then red-shirted, then COVID, didn't count against his eligibility. So he's been around for a really long time and is a big body, another all bus type guy that is playing a lot of football now for Colorado. And so they've had some uh, backup defense alignment kind of take a step up. Justin Jackson, who came in from the Juco ranks a couple years ago. So, uh, and then on the edge, uh, they lose Carson Wells, who's off to the NFL, but Guy Thomas was playing up to Carson Wells level early on last season before he got hurt. And they've got a lot of depth off the edge as well. So those groups on defense should be pretty solid and kind of lost in the fact that, you know, Colorado struggled so much offensively was the fact that defense was pretty solid for most of the season. You know, they, they ranked seventh in the conference in points allowed. So there's still room for improvement there. But generally week to week, 
uh, aside from a couple games, the defense had this team playing to a level that they should have been a bowl team in 2021, but the offense just didn't score enough points. And so uh, folks didn't really pay attention to the fact this defense was pretty solid at points. And you look at what they did in week two against Texas A&M, uh, they, they limited the Aggies to 10 points. And so that group played well at times last year. Yeah. I mean, just look, look at my own numbers. I keep, I, I had them 81st defensively and 121st offensively. So yeah, it, it 81st, if you get the right bounces, that you can get to a bowl with that. It's hard to get to a bowl with 121st um, moving the football. Uh, last thing, and I'll, I'll get you out of here. I really appreciate the time here. We're talk, talking to Adam Muster Tiger of Buff Stampede here on the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast Summer School Series. Uh, this schedule is r- ridiculous. Uh, TCU, Air Force, Minnesota in the non-conference. Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. And uh, you should never schedule Air Force if you're a Power 5 football team. If they're in your conference and you have to play them, then fine. You you deal with uh, the difficulty of of preparing for that offense on short notice. But when they played Air Force in Boulder a couple years ago when Mel Tucker was a head coach, he had to dedicate a period every day in the preseason to preparing for Air Force's option offense. And so – that's not a, a good team to have on your schedule because it's it's not a power five opponent yet it's a really difficult matchup now uh minnesota going on the road that that's going to be tough and, and that's a minnesota team that came into boulder last year and, and shut them out now they hired minnesota's old offensive coordinator their old tight ends coach so they, they've got i guess a little bit more intel on the golden gophers and and i can't imagine they're going to get quite embarrassed the way they did against Minnesota and Boulder this past year. But yeah, not not an ideal schedule when you're, you're as Carl Durrell in year three, really trying to find any wins you can on the schedule to keep some semblance of momentum with this program going in the right direction. All right, guys, really appreciate Adam Muster-Tiger of Buff Stampede for joining us today. Learned a whole lot about Colorado and we'll be sure to stay tuned to Buff Stampede for more throughout the summer, see what else they do in the transfer portal, and maybe have Adam back on for a little season preview come the fall. We'll see you guys again for another episode of Summer School. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today, but don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast, and we'll see y'all soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.